Welcome to Learned Lag, a podcast about yesterday's Learned League questions and answers. I'm Amanda. And I'm George. I'm in, I'm in Zephyr A. Amanda's in Zephyr B. This is season 27 for me and season 23 for Amanda. And this is day four of season 95. Our first question asks for a five-letter word taken from the Latin for likeness or appearance. Uh, it is used in the biology of the adult insect uh, after its metamorphosis. I had no idea. I would have figured this was adult. Uh, yeah. I mean, I went through all of the other ones. Pupa, larva, nymph, adult, as far as mm -hmm. I knew. Uh, so I came at it from the Latin direction. I thought a, a noun meaning likeness or appearance. I thought maybe it has something to do with face. So like fascia. Mm. Uh, so that's, a, you know, for lack of anything else that I could think of, fascia, F-A-C-I-A. Mm, that seems sensible. Um, this is one that I am not quite sure exactly how I pulled from the cloud. Um, I initially thought something like morph or morpho. Morpho, of course, has too many letters, so I was going to go with morph as uh, knowing that there are some butterflies in particular that um, are called blue morpho or that kind of thing, um, which I thought, you know, likeness, form, uh, you know, maybe those are kind of related somehow. Um, and at the same time, that didn't sound quite right to me. I, I had looked at the questions early in the morning and uh, came back to them later, which is kind of my usual habit. Um, so mid-morning I was coming back after breaking my meetings today. Um, and I tried to think of other, um, sort of Latin root words that could fit this kind of description. I thought, well, what's, what are other words for likenesses? Well, your image is one of those. Um, and it kind of pinged something in the back of my mind, I guess, because I thought there's that, there's a term called imago or amago. I don't know how it's pronounced. I've not, I don't know that I've heard it said out loud, um, but I kind of flashed on, uh, I think there's a Clive Barker book called that, which I have not read, but it's something about it evoked like the butterfly kind of imagery for me. Um, it's the kind of thing where I've like seen the cover of it a bunch of times, especially when uh, his novels were most popular. And so, the, you know, like I said, this is a very cloudy, fuzzy, like, <laughs> way of getting to this that I don't know how my brain exactly, you know, lit up the right circuit. Um, but I I just thought, imago or imago, that sounds like I-M-A-G-O, sounds like a thing that comes from science, and I don't know how, how it sounds right to me. But it's better than this, you know, a term like morph, which I know is really wrong and just kind of a kludge that my brain was trying to put in there. Um, so I thought, what the heck? Let's give it a try and go with uh, Imago. And that was correct. <laughs> Crazy. Sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Question two asks us for a particular version of the art form known as earthworks 
that is in the Great Salt Lake and is by sculptor Robert Smithson. So, yeah, it asks us what shape this sculpture is in. And my brain just locked up on this one uh, when I read the word, or the phrase rather, in Utah's Great Salt Lake. Because I was like, does that mean it's on an island in the lake? Is it under the water? Does it float on the Great Salt Lake? Like, I was just like, how is this in the Great Salt Lake? I just, I, you know, I couldn't, I think that, you know, not that I would have gotten it right anyway, but, you know, my brain just kind of broke on that one. Um, and so I kind of read back through the question and thought, quintessentially, maybe that's referring to a five-sided shape. So I thought mm. maybe it's a pentagon because that's, you know, um, the idea of it being quintessential. I don't know why that word would be used in this uh, context necessarily, unless it was meant to be a bit of a hint. So that was the best guess I was going to get. I put down pentagon. Hmm. Reasonable. So I, I couldn't figure out whether it was, this description was saying that the the, the natural elements in situ were were like just as they appeared like mm. without the artist actually manipulating or changing or moving or shaping anything okay. like it was just kind of the artist standing there going hey look at that <laughs> that's a thing ta-da yeah um but either way, I just I, I wasn't going to get to this. I've not heard of it. Uh, mm -hmm. But I figured, okay, a formation of rock and salt crystal that may have just, you know, been that way. Uh, maybe is kind of like a pyramid. Mm -hmm. So there you have it. I said pyramid. Sure. The correct answer was spiral, yeah. which doesn't get me any closer to even answering my question about what this thing actually looks like mm -hmm. and where specifically in, quote unquote, the Great Salt Lake it is. Mm -hmm. um, and... I'm not even going to look it up because, you know, I, <laughs> I, I hope I never come across this again. No, um, I, the thing that I um, would think of if you um, mentioned earthworks as a form of art to me is uh, I think Maya Lin had some projects that were like that. Yeah. Um, but they would be like taking actual dirt and shaping them into like hills and waves in in our in artistic way okay. so that you make a texture kind of or a shape out of the landscape all right so i think it involves a you know carving something effectively or or sculpting something out of material of the earth um i think maybe mount rushmore would count as that i don't know okay anyway so much for that question moving on <laughs> question three asks us uh in terms of navigational aids, what do uh, the terms none, can, and junction refer to? Uh, red and green or both. And uh -huh. I figure, okay, so if it's both, it's not going to be like a light. I right. figured. Well. Um, I, just, I, feel, I feel like a, a, a light isn't both colors. A light can be alternating colors, or it can be like one on each side, or something like sure. that. So I figured, okay, it's probably something painted. Okay. I think what navigational aids are painted, 
and I thought of buoys. Okay. So I presumed that uh, the red and the green mean don't go there, uh, or and it's okay to go there, and then the the both would mean uh, maybe a direction. Mm. You can go on the you can go on the green side, not the red side, or uh, yeah. uh, or possibly that uh, you know you can go. Uh, one way but not crossway across not perpendicular to that sure. so I just, but that would, I couldn't think of anything else that it might be uh, just based on that description so I said buoys okay um, yeah I had a, a similar thought process I it did occur to me that maybe lighthouses would have different color lights that they put on under different conditions but it didn't seem like that's really what this was describing because why give them these odd names? You know, for, if you mean a, a red light, just call mm. it a red light. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, kind of pretty quickly after that, I, I thought buoys would make sense. And, you know, I've been on enough boats in enough different contexts that I've seen buoys and I kind of can picture them having kind of like these rectangular just red and green shapes on them to to indicate where you're allowed to go or you know i picture them kind of like you know uh allowing you to proceed in like i think the idea is for for the red green ones you can go around them on the green side um but not on the red side because it's like oncoming traffic or yeah. something yeah. Um, and in any case, I, I thought as far as navigational aids go, I figured these had to be buoys cause, um, nothing else was, you know, coming to mind in that sense. Like, they, you know, obviously they're not traffic lights. They're, you know, this is really just the only answer that made sense to me. Reasonable. And that was correct. Buoys or channel markers. Sure. Question four asks us for a franglais term for a chicken dish. Right, and describes it being in a cream sauce with various vegetables, introduced at Delmonico's in the 1880s. So initially I was thinking of chicken divan, but that didn't quite fit the franglais um, uh, terminology in the question. And... Uh, so it was kind of like picturing something that has a descriptor that's got both a French word and an English word in it. Um, and it took a, just a little more kind of cogitating on that to come up with chicken a la king, um, which I had to con then convince myself a little bit actually had all these ingredients in it. And I say that because um, my mother made a version of chicken a la king that was pretty much just chicken and gravy. Like maybe you make a little white sauce that goes in the gravy, but it doesn't have sherry. God knows it didn't have mushrooms. Our family would not have tolerated that exoticism, <laughs> um, much less peppers and pimentos. Um, but you know, a cream based sauce, the franglais part, um, the fact that it's a la from the French and then King, um, you know, from clearly English. Um, I thought that, that checked off all the boxes, and so I put down a la king. Uh, I just 
kind of read this and thought, okay, what's a chicken dish in a cream sauce? And thought, mm -hmm. that sounds like chicken a la king. Oh, is that franglais? I guess it would be, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. A la king. Okay, sure. Yeah. And chicken a la king is one of those things that is so, like, middle school cafeteria to me that it yeah. amazes me that it was invented at a fancy restaurant. <laughs> that it wasn't just like, you know... The Chef Boyardee company called it that because Bob King was the the lead on the, the <laughs> advertising uh, sure. campaign. Uh, but yeah, that's I went with it and figured, what the heck? If it's not this, it's going to be some weird chicken thing that I've not mm. heard of. So we'll go with Hala King. Yeah, and that was the correct answer. And I, of course, a couple other, like when I think of chicken... I'm much more likely to think of piccata, cacciatore, mm -hmm. apricash, sure. all these things that didn't fit into that description real well. So it took a little while to, to maneuver around to it. Mm -hmm. This next question did not, however. <laughs> uh, question five asks us, who just filled up the entire top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100 last month? Yeah, this was Taylor Swift. Yeah. We talked about that we, a lot. We discussed this. It, it, it set many, many other records. Yes. Uh, it was the first time that the top ten had no male artists in it, ever. Mm -hmm. um, it was. It meant that Midnight's was the first album to ever have ten top ten hits uh -huh. come from it. Uh, she broke Drake's record, which was nine yeah. songs in the top ten. Um she and Drake are now the second and third artists to ever have all five of the top five singles. Ah, yeah. uh, the previous was the Beatles, the first ones to do it. Okay. The only ones for many years. Uh, I forget. There were there were several other just absolutely insane records that had to do with her dropping this album and it, you know, being streamed millions and millions of times. I think she, I think she broke the the twenty first century record for the most vinyl units moved. <laughs> uh, yeah, just. It was it was a gigantic uh, album, and that was one of the th one of the things that did that uh, it did was put all ten singles on the top ten list. Yeah, um, and you know we as we had talked this over you know, pretty mm -hmm. recently. Mm -hmm. um, I know that uh, it, it's interesting that you know she it's it's as much indicative of the level of career success she's attained uh as at least as much as the quality of the album because mm -hmm. what i've heard is that it's maybe not everybody's favorite of hers but it was the newest one right and it was the whole album mm -hmm. that everybody wanted to hear all at once um and so you know that was just kind of interesting that like critically speaking people are not saying well it's the best album of all time or her best album of all time um but it is the newest taylor swift album mm -hmm. And I was correct. Yeah. Question six gives us a quote from Down at the Cross, a 1963 collection of works by a Harlem-born intellectual and literary giant. Asks us who that giant is. Yeah, this is the one that I am most dismayed about um, because The Fire Next Time, I knew was a, the famous title of a collection of this person's works. And I initially thought about James Baldwin um, but he's kind of my default Harlem Renaissance 
you know, intellectual person. And so I don't want to just, you know, say James Baldwin for everything. Like I say, I am pay for all architecture or <laughs> whatever. Um, and so I thought, okay, you know, this um, quote that we're given sounds fairly rhythmic and poetical. Um, and it's included in a collection of works, which means, you know, is it essays? Is it stories? Is it poems? You know, I don't think of Baldwin per se as as much of a poet as I do someone like for example Langston Hughes um, and so that's what I ended up putting down because I felt like this was more likely to be a collection of poetry um, than of other types of writing um, and so that's my only excuse uh, yeah my excuse for Flipping a coin between Hughes and Baldwin, and well, not not entirely flipping a coin because I I thought it was it was Hughes as well, mm. um, and then but first thought of Baldwin, but then I, I looked at it and I saw thought a nineteen sixty three collection of works, and it kind of made me think, oh, this must be a posthumous collection, mm. and uh, among the few things I know about James Baldwin, one is that he was alive in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. which means that a posthumous 1963 collection could not have been from James Baldwin. Ah. Therefore, it must have been Langston Hughes. Oh, arg. But no, in fact, it was simply a collection published 24 years before he died by James Baldwin. Yeah, it sure was. Darn it anyway. Hmm. Well, darn me anyway, because I, you know, I've tried to get more educated about this, and I am not there yet. So that left me with four on the day. Which, and I, I don't totally love it. Uh, I had three, so mm. there you go. <sighs> Sometimes you come crashing down. <laughs> this season's been a little tough. It has. It has. I'm at 15 out of 20, mm. which is not a great, uh, or 15 out of 24, mm. which is not not at all uh, where you want to be in a rundle. Yeah, that's but. tough, and. Uh, and it's you're not alone in finding it difficult. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I've for myself, I've had some good lucky pulls. I'm hoping that uh, Imago gets me some mm-hmm. some good points in there. I um, I think you know, I think I underscored um, the uh, Earthworks question a little bit, though. I gave it two to both op- uh, opponents, mm-hmm. and probably should have gone with three just because it's not it isn't actually hinted at yep. in the question it's it's instead of pretty yuckyoid um one and so yeah kind of wish i would have would have bumped that up but you know i didn't know that i didn't have it right so mm-hmm. so what to do yep. i did put three on imago in in the main rundle um and then my other opponent in uh, the private rental had like a literature score was not mm-hmm. was was much much lower, so I put a three on Baldwin. But yeah, um, yeah I guess we'll see. Um, I'm my record is still pretty good um, so far, so hopefully I can you know sneak one in here. So that's it for today. Tune in tomorrow for more post-game analysis. And remember, don't forfeit. Don't cheat.